Today I'm speaking with Tom Davidson. Tom's a senior research analyst at Open Philanthropy, where his main focus is on when we might get transformative AI. Before joining Open Philanthropy, Tom taught science through Teach First at a comprehensive school in East London, and then was a data scientist for an education technology startup. And before all of that, Tom studied physics and philosophy at Oxford. Going from GPT-4 to AI takeover. So let's maybe we can try and think about this this system which is trying to solve these these math problems. Mm-hmm. Sure. So maybe the first version of the AI, you just say, "Look, we want you to solve the problem using one of these four techniques," and that kind of system is okay. But then someone comes along and realizes that if you let the AI system do an internet search and plan its own line of attack on the problem. Then it's able to to do a better job in solving even harder and harder problems, and so you say, okay, we'll allow the AI to do that. Sure. And then over time, in order to improve performance, you give it more and more scope to kind of be creative in planning how it's going to a- attack each different kind of problem. Yep. One thing that might happen internally in t- inside the AI's own head is that the AI may end up. Developing just an inherent desire to just get the answer to this math question as accurate as possible. Mm-hmm. That's something which it always gets rewarded for when it's being trained. And you know, maybe it could be thinking, "I actually just want the humans to be happy with my answer." But another thing it might end up thinking is, "You know what? What I really want is just to get the answer correct." Mm-hmm. And the kind of the feedback that us humans are giving that system doesn't distinguish between those two possibilities. So maybe we get unlucky, and maybe the thing that it wants is to just really get the answer correct. And maybe the way that the AI system is working internally is it's saying, "Okay, that's my goal. What plan can I use to achieve that goal?" And it's kind of creatively going and looking for new new approaches by googling information. Mm-hmm. Maybe one time it's like it realizes that if it hacked into a, a kind of another computing cluster, it could use those computations to help it solve the problem. And then it does that. No one realizes, and then that kind of that reinforces the fact that it is now planning on such a broad scale to try and achieve this goal. And then maybe it's much more powerful at a later time, and it it realizes that yeah, if it kills all humans, it could have access to all the supercomputers, and then that would help it get、um, an even more accurate answer. And because the thing it cares about is not. Pleasing the humans, the, the thing it, it happened to care about internally was actually just getting a, an accurate answer.、Um, that plan looks great by its own lights, and so it goes and executes the plan. Right. So one that was really helpful, but I still feel confused about、um, one: why it's so hard to not give it、uh, some instructions that are just like use whatever you need, but like don't hurt living things. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we could definitely give it those instructions. The question is, inside its own mind, what is its goal in the end of the day? So you could give it instructions: don't hurt humans, and it would read that, it would understand that that's what you wanted. But if throughout its life it's always been rewarded for getting an, an accurate answer to these math problems, it might just itself only care about getting accurate answers to the math problems. So it knows that the humans don't want it to hurt other humans, but it also doesn't care about that itself because all it cares about is getting accurate answers to this problem. And so, sure, it knows that humans don't want it to 
to hurt other humans. And so it makes sure to not do that in an obvious way because it anticipates that it might get shut down. Yeah. But, but its knowledge of what humans want it to do doesn't change what its own desire is internally. Why AGI could lead to explosive economic growth. So today, there are maybe tens of millions of people whose job it is to discover new and better technologies. Sure. Working in science and research and development. They're able to make a certain amount of progress each year. And it's their work that helps us you know, get better computers and phones and discover better types of solar panels and drives all these improvements that we're seeing. But like we've been talking about, shortly after AGI, I think there's going to be billions of top human researchers equivalents in terms of a scientific workforce from AI. Right. And if you imagine that workforce or, you know, half of that workforce or just 10% of it working on trying to advance technology and come up with new ideas, then you have now 10 or 100 times the effort that's going into that activity. Um, And these AIs are also able to think maybe 10 or 100 times as quickly as humans can think. And you're able to take the very best AI researchers and copy them. Right. Um, So if you think that scientific progress is overwhelmingly driven by like a few smaller number of really kind of brilliant people with brilliant ideas, then we just need one of them and we can copy them. They might be happy to just work much harder than, than humans work. Right. It might be possible to focus them much more effectively on the most important types of R&D, whereas humans maybe are more inclined to follow their interests, yeah, um, right. even when it's not, not the most useful thing to be researching. And so you know, all of those things together just mean that we'll be generating kind of 100 times as many new good ideas and, and innovations each year compared with today. And then that would drive the development of technologies to be, to be you know, at least 10 times faster than today. Right, right. How likely do you, do you think this kind of growth is? Is it is it the default once we get AGI? I think it is a default. You could give objections to the argument I gave, mm-hmm. but I think it's mostly possible to answer those objections. So you could say, well, you know, discovering new technologies isn't just about thinking and coming up with new ideas. You also need to do experiments. Okay, sure. And then, you know, I think you can answer that objection um, by saying, that's right, we will need to do experiments. And that's like, you know, testing a drug on humans, and maybe it takes five years or something to, to like really check that it's uh, safe and effective. Right. Yeah. Or you've designed a new solar panel and you want to like test its performance um, in a variety of conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Or you, you're kind of running some experiments to see what happens when you combine these two chemicals together because you, you're not able to predict it in advance. But if you have a billion AIs trying to push forward um, R&D and they're bottlenecked on these needing to do these experiments, then they'll be putting in a huge amount of effort to make these experiments happen as efficiently as possible. Sure. Okay. So whereas today, we, you know, we might be using the lab for, you know, 50% of the time we could be using it. Um, and we might be just doing a whole bunch of experiments and then analyzing them afterwards and, you know, learning a little bit from each experiment, but also, you know, not kind of trying to cram as much into each experiment as, as is humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if these AIs are limited on experiments and they're going to be spending, you know, months and months just meticulously planning 
the micro details of every single experiment so that you can get as much information as possible out of each one. Why explosive growth is plausible, despite sounding crazy. I agree. It, it seems really crazy. And I think it's very natural and understandable to just not believe it when you hear the arguments. And that would have been my initial reaction. In terms of why I do now believe it, there's probably a few things which have changed. Probably I've just sat with these arguments for a few years. Hmm. and just being like, I just do believe it. You know, I have discussions with people on either side of the debate and mm -hmm. I just find that people on one side just have thought it through much more. And, and I think what's at the heart of it for me is that the human brain is a physical system. There's nothing magical about it. It isn't surprising that at some point we develop machines that can do what the human brain can do at some point in the process of technological discovery. And to be honest, that happening in the next couple of decades is kind of when you might expect it to happen naively. We, we've had computers for 70-odd years. It's been a decade since we started pouring loads and loads of compute into um, training AI systems, and we've realized that that approach works you know, really, really well. Just if you were kind of to say, okay, when do you think humans might develop machines that can do what the human brain can do? You kind of think it might be in the next few decades. Right. And I think if you just sit with that fact that there are going to be machines that can do what the human brain can do, and you're going to be able to make those machines much more efficient at it, and you're going to be able to make even better versions of those machines, you know, 10 times better versions, you're going to be able to run them day and night, and you're going to be able to build more. When, when you sit with all that, I do think it gets pretty hard to imagine a future that isn't very crazy. Yeah. And another perspective is just zooming out even further and just looking at the whole arc of human history. So if you'd have asked hunter-gatherers who only knew the 50 people in their group mm -hmm. and who had been you know, hunting using techniques and um, tools that, as far as they knew, had been passed down for eternity, generation to generation doing their rituals, if you'd have told them that in, in a few thousand years there were going to be huge empires building you know, the Egyptian pyramids and you know, massive armies and the ability to go to a market and um, give people you know, pieces of metal in exchange for all kinds of goods, they'd have, they, it would have seemed totally crazy. Right, right. And then if you'd have told those people in those markets that that no, there's going to be a future world where, you know, every every ten years, major major technological progress is going to be coming along, and we're going to be discovering drugs that can solve all kinds of diseases. Um, you're going to be able to get inside a box and and land the other side of the earth. Right. They again, they'd have just thought you were crazy. And I think you know, while it seems that we understand what's happening and that progress is pretty steady, that that has only been true for the last two hundred years. And zooming out, it's actually the norm throughout the, the longer run of history for things to go in a totally surprising and unpredictable direction hmm. um, or kind of a, a direction that would have seemed totally bizarre and unpredictable to, to people naively at that time. Why AI won't go the way of nuclear power? You know, I don't have a good understanding of what happened, but... I think there are some big 
catastrophes mm-hmm. with nuclear power, and then it became very stigmatized, and the regulatory requirements around it and the safety requirements became very large, much larger really than than, than was reasonable, hmm. given that fossil fuel energy has damaging health consequences as well through air pollution. Hmm. Right. And as a result, it just became kind of a mixture of stigma and just the additional cost from all that regulation just prevented it from being rolled out. But I do think there are a fair few very significant disanalogies between that case and the case of AI. Okay. Yeah, what are they? So one thing is that there were other sources of energy that were available. And so it wasn't too costly to be like, well, we're not going to use nuclear, we're going to use fossil fuels instead. And then, you know, even the green climate change concern, people could think about kind of developing solar panels and renewable energies. And in the AI case, that there is going to be no alternative. There's going to be no alternative technology which can solve all illness and which can grant your nation massive national security and military power and that can solve climate change. This is going to be the only option. So that's one disanalogy. Okay, that makes sense. Another another kind of disanalogy is the cost factor. So um, with nuclear power, it's become more expensive over time due to regulations. And that, that's been a big factor in not being pursued. Hmm. But the specifics around these cost curves with compute and this algorithmic progress patterns suggest that the upfront cost of training AGI is going to be falling really pretty quickly over time. Right. Um, And so even if initially you put loads of regulations which make it very expensive, it's really not going to be long until it's 10x cheaper. Right. And so permanently preventing it when when it's becoming cheaper and cheaper at such a high rate is going to be really, really difficult. Third is just just talking about the size of the gains from from this technology compared to nuclear power. Mm-hmm. So, you know, France adopted nuclear power and it was somewhat beneficial. You know, it, it's kind of now gets a lot of its power from nuclear energy and that there's no climate change impacts and that's great. But it's not as if France is visibly and undisputably just doing amazing well as a country because it's got, you know, this nuclear power. Like it's a kind of a modest addition. Maybe it makes it look a little bit better. Right. But by contrast, if one country is, is you know, progressing technology at the normal rate and then another country comes along and just starts using these AIs and robots a little bit, you're going to see very significant differences in how its overall technology and prosperity and kind of military power is, is progressing. And then you're going to see that as countries dial up how much they're allowing AIs to do this work, mm-hmm. that there are then bigger and bigger differences there. Um, And ultimately, the difference between advancing technology at our pace versus advancing technology 30 times faster is over over the course of just a few years, it becomes a massive difference in the sophistication of your country's technology and ability to solve all kinds of social and political problems. Why AI takeoff might be shockingly fast. The conclusion from the report is, I guess, pretty scary. The bottom line is that my median guess is that it would take just a small number of years to go from that 20% to the 100%. So, you know, I I think equally likely to happen in less than three years as it is to happen in more than three years. So a pretty abrupt and quick 
change is the kind of median kind of best guess median wow um and do you believe that in your bones does that feel like like very plausible to you yeah i do so some some quick things about why why it's plausible each year once you take algorithms better algorithms and using more compute into account we're currently training AIs each year that have kind of three times bigger brains than the year before. It's a really rough way to think about it. But, you know, imagine, you know, three times smaller brain than humans. That's chimpanzee brain size. Right. Um, Each year you're going from chimpanzees to humans? That's, I think, you know, it's really hard to, to try and account for the effect of the algorithmic improvements. But on my kind of best guess of, of what those amount to... Yeah, each year we're making the brains of AI systems about three times bigger. Wow. And right now, it's humans that are doing all the work to improve those AI systems. As we get close to AIs that match humans, we'll be increasingly using AI systems to improve AI algorithms, design better AI chips. And so overall, I expect that pace to accelerate absent a specific effort to slow down. Right. So rather than three times bigger brains each year, it's going to be going faster and faster, five times bigger brain each year, 10 times bigger brain each year. And I think that that just already makes it plausible that there could be just a small number of years where this transition happens, where AIs go from much worse than humans to much better. But to add in another factor... I think that it's likely that AIs are going to be automating AI research itself before they're automating things in most of the economy. Right. Because that's the kind of the task and the workflow that AI researchers themselves really understand. So they would would be kind of best placed to use AIs effectively there. There aren't going to be kind of delays to rolling it out or, or trouble finding the customers for that in the same way. The task of AI research is quite similar to what language models are currently trained to do. They're currently trained to predict the next token on the internet, which means they're particularly well-suited to text-based tasks. Right. And the task of writing code is, is, is one such task, and there is lots of data on, on examples of code writing. Oh, I see. So it's like, typically, I don't know that much about coding. Is it basically also token prediction? That is how current coding assistants work, I think, is that they, they're they looking at, you're kind of, you start writing your code and they predict what's going to follow. Like one way of putting it would be by the time that the AIs can do 20% of cognitive tasks in the broader economy, maybe they can already do 40 or 50% of tasks specifically in AI R&D. Right. And so they could have already really started accelerating the pace of progress by the time we get to that 20% economic impact threshold. I mean, at that point, you could easily imagine, really, it's just one year. You know, you, you, you give them a 10x bigger brain, that's like going from chimps to humans and then doing that jump again. Mm-hmm. That could easily be enough to, to go from 20% to 100%, just intuitively. And, you know, and I think that's kind of, that, that's kind of the default, really. That's terrifying. Yeah, and I think there's even more pointing that direction. I think that... Already, we're seeing that with GPT-4 and other systems like that, people are becoming much more interested in AI, much more willing to invest in AI. The demand for good AI researchers 
is is going up. Mm-hmm. The wages for for good AI researchers are going up. AI research is going to be a really financially valuable thing to automate. Right. You know, if you're if you're paying five hundred thousand dollars a year to to one of your human research engineers, which is which is you know lower than what some of these researchers are earning, mm. then if you can if you can manage to get your AI system to double their productivity, that's that's way better than doubling the productivity of someone who works in a random other industry. Just just the straightforward financial incentive as the kind of power of AI becomes apparent will be towards let's see if we can automate this really lucrative type of work. So that that's just another reason to think that we get the automation much earlier on the AI side than on the general economy side. And that by the time we're seeing big economic impacts, AI is you know, already improving at a blistering pace potentially. Why it's so important to build trust between labs. In terms of plans for making the whole thing go well, it's especially scary because I think you know, a really important part of the plan from my perspective would, would be to go especially slowly when we're around the human level so that we can do loads of experiments I see. Um, and loads of kind of scientific investigation into, okay, so this human level AI, is it aligned if we do this technique? Mm-hmm. What about if we draw this other alignment technique? Does it then does it then seem like it's aligned? And just really making sure we 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 kind of um fully understand kind of the science of alignment and can try out lots of different techniques and to develop kind of reliable tests right. for, for, for whether the alignment technique has worked or not, that they're hard to game. The kind of thing that ARC has done with GPT-4, for example. Exactly. Yeah. And I think if we only have a few months kind of through the human level stage, that stuff becomes really difficult to do without significant coordination in advance by labs. So I, I think that this, you know, there are really important implications of this, of this fast transition in terms of setting up a kind of governance system which can allow us to go slowly despite the technical possibilities existing to go very fast. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. I do feel like I've had some background belief that was like, obviously, when we've got AI systems that can do things humans can do, people are going to start freaking out Mm. and they're going to want to make sure those systems are safe. But if we, if it takes months to get there and then within another few months, we're already well beyond human capabilities, then no one's going to have time to freak out or it'll be too late. Yeah. I mean, even if we spend the next... What do we have? Seven years left in the decade? Mm-hmm. Like that sounds hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Okay. So a takeaway is like, we really need to start slowing down or planning now, ideally both. Yeah. And we'll need the plans we make to really enable there to be mutual trust that that the other labs are also slowing down. Mm-hmm. Because if it's, you know, if it only takes six months to, you know, make your AIs 10 or 100 times as smart, then you're going to need to be really confident that the other labs aren't doing that in order to feel comfortable slowing down yourself. Right. If it was going to take 10 years and you noticed like three months in that another lab was working on it, you'd be like, yeah, we can catch up. Yeah. Um, But if it's going to take six months and you're three months in, you've got no hope. And so maybe you'll just like spend those first three months secretly working on it to make sure that doesn't happen. Or just not agree to, yeah, to do the slowdown. Yeah. Oh, these are really hard problems. I mean, it's very, it feels very like prisoner's dilemma-y. 
I, I'm hoping it's going to be more like an iterated prisoner's dilemma where there's kind of multiple moves that the labs make one after the other and they can see if the other labs are cooperating. And in an iterated prisoner's dilemma, ultimately makes sense for everyone to cooperate because that, that, that way they can, the other, the other people can see you coordinating, then they coordinate and then everyone, mm-hmm. everyone kind of ends up coordinating. You know, one thing is if you could set up ways for labs to easily know whether the other labs are indeed cooperating or not kind of week by week, then that, that turns it into a more iterated prisoner's dilemma and makes it easier to achieve a kind of good outcome. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I imagine it's the case that the more iteration you get in an iterated prisoner's dilemma, the better the incentives are to cooperate. And so just by making the timeline shorter, you, you make it harder to get, to get these iterations that build trust. Yeah, I think that's right. What ants might teach us about deploying AI safely? In an ant colony, ants are smarter than like a human cellars. They're the kind of self-contained units that, you know, eat and do tasks by themselves and they're pretty autonomous. Yeah. But the ants are still pretty dumb. And no ant really knows that it's part of a colony or knows that the colony has certain tasks that it needs to do and that it has to help out with the colony efforts. It's more like a kind of little robot that's kind of like bumping into other ants and and getting like signals and then adjusting its behavior based on that interaction. Right. So it's not like, I guess, a company where like the different people in the company are like, my job is marketing. Um, And they have like a basic picture of how it all fits together. They're much more like if a person at a company doing marketing was just like, I don't know why I do it. I just do it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And another disanalogy with the company is that a company, there's someone at the top that's kind of coordinating the whole thing. Mm. Whereas with ants, there's no one that's coordinating it. It's just, including the queen, there's no management system. It's just all of the, you know, hundreds and thousands of ants have their individual instincts of what they do when they bump into each other and what they do when they bump into food and what they do when they realize that there's, you know, there's not as much food as there needs to be. And by kind of all of the ants following their own individual instincts, it just turns out that they act as if they were kind of a well, fairly well-coordinated company that is like ensuring that there are some ants going to get food and some ants that are keeping the nest in order and some ants that are feeding the young. Wild. But that, that coordination happens kind of almost magically and emerges out of those individual ant interactions. So one example of, of how this works is that um, if an ant comes across a body of a dead ant, then if there's another dead body nearby, it will tend to move it to be close to the other dead body. That's just an instinct it has. It just kind of moves the body towards another. Right. And if there's like one kind of pile of three three dead ants and another pile of two dead ants, it will tend to go towards the bigger pile. So it tend to move this extra dead ant towards the pile of three. And then it turns out that if all the ants just have those instincts, then if there's initially a kind of a kind of sprawling mass of dead bodies everywhere, then those dead bodies will be collected into just a small number of piles right. of bodies. And it's not like any of the ants are like, I am the grave digger or the like keeper of the cemetery. They just have like really weird like baseline rules that are like move the smaller group of dead ants to the to where the larger group of dead ants are. Yeah, exactly. So they don't have to know that the whole point of this 
instinct is to kind of clear right. clear the ground so that it's easier to do work in the future. It's just an instinct they have. They don't have to know that when everyone follows that instinct, this is the resultant pattern of behavior. And similar instincts kind of cause them to go for food when food is available. So if they see many ants coming in with with food, that raises the probability that they'll go out and look for food. Right. And they're not thinking, oh, there's food to be gathered. There's clearly a lot of it, so we better reassign some labor towards food gathering. Mm. That They just have that basic instinct, which causes them to go out and help out with the, the food gathering. And it's something like, oh, that ant has food. Oh, another ant has food. I'm going to go that way. Yeah, exactly. Right. How does this connect to AI? So I don't know if it does connect very very directly at all. But the idea of the connection in my head is that it's an example of a system where lots of kind of less clever individuals are following their local rules, doing their local task. Mm -hmm. But that what emerges from that is a very coherent and effective system for, you know, ultimately gathering food, defending against predators, raising the young. And an analogy would be maybe you know, we we think it's pretty dangerous to train really smart AIs that are individually very smart, but it might be safer to kind of set up a team of AIs such that each AI is kind of doing its own part in a kind of team mm-hmm. and doesn't necessarily know how how its work is fitting into the broader whole. But nonetheless, you can maybe get a lot more out of that kind of disconnected team of AIs that are specialized and that just kind of take their inputs and produce their outputs without much of an understanding of the broader context. Cool. And that just thinking maybe that would be, you know, a safer way to develop advanced AI capabilities than just training one super smart AI mega brain. 